moment, ushers are going to come back and offer a Bible. So if you would like to use one today, just get their attention, okay? Um, we're in the fourth week of our 40 days in the Word, and this has been quite a journey. We prayed from the very start that during this season we would come to love the Word of God uh, like we've never loved it before and learn it like we've never learned and, and put it into practice, live it out uh, in ways that maybe we have not done before. Uh, so I hope that God is answering that prayer, and I just want to make an ask, okay, right, right out of the gate. If God has been doing anything through this time and in your life group and walking through the workbook and some of the things you're learning, if God has done something to inspire you or to change you or, um, you know, shift things around or, or, or maybe uh, take a step uh, toward a habit or a new skill or whatever, if he has made an impact, would you tell us about it? Uh, we're we're going to start collecting stories the next couple of weeks. We only have two more weeks after this, and on the last week, I want to celebrate what God has done. The only way we can do that is to hear from you. So here's the vehicle you can use. If you could just write an email to stories at northshorechristian.org, stories at northshorechristian.org. Uh, we're going to collect those and then to begin to, to share. Don't be surprised if, if it's something that we might even want to capture somehow on a, on a video or testimony or whatever. But, uh, but we'd like to do that and ask you to participate if you would. We, we have been walking down this path together. In the first week, if you recall, we talked about the inspiration of the Word of God. Um, how not only history, but even science supports that this book is very special. Wouldn't you agree? There's no book like it in the world. There's no, no, nothing at all like it. Uh, the nature of it, the, the, the years that it has spanned, all of that, and it is inspired by God. God breathed, and so we kind of laid the foundation there. In fact, the next week was about the foundation. Why did God give us the Bible? And predominantly it was to change our lives, wasn't it? There's nothing like the living Word of God that can get to a place to change you at the core of who you are, your, your character, your attitude, uh, your disposition, your mind, your heart. All of those things, when it comes under the Word of God, he, he changes things. And last week we talked about illumination, uh, seeing things that God wants us to see through the Holy Spirit. It's because he's deposited his own spirit in us that the light bulb comes on and that we can begin to see those things that, that he wants for us. So, so we've kind of laid that, and today we're going to look at a fourth word, and that is observation. You can see from the top of your notes we're going to be looking specifically, how do you study the Bible? How do you study the Bible? How do you get out of the Bible the things that God wants you to do? And i got to just say up front, guys, we're going to do something today that I don't think in all of my years of ministry that I've ever done quite like this. This is going to be one of the most pragmatic, practical messages that, that we've ever preached because not only am I interested in you uh, discovering the treasures that are in the Word of God, but we're literally going to walk you through and show you how to employ some of those skills or some of those uh, uh, means by which you can do that. Uh, if you've ever, have you ever watched uh, one of those documentaries of how do they make it or uh, like, a, let's say it's one of your favorite movies and they had a show how, how the movie was made and you got behind the scenes and you saw the things that you never see on the screen, okay? This is kind of one of those days. And what you're going to see probably from, from me to you is when we come together like this and we're sharing the word, how do, how do we get to that place? How do I, how, how, what, do I, what am I thinking about? How do I lay things out? Where do they come from? What, is it, what does it look like? Because, friends, it's not just something that was intended for one person to do or two person or three. This is, I think every believer 
needs to learn how to go to the Word for yourself, study it, and glean from it everything God has. So that's what we're going to do, all right? So a lot to cover today. I'm going to walk you through it. Uh, I want to start off with basically the, the background of, of every Bible study. This is what makes any kind of Bible study worthwhile, and that is the questions that you ask. Bible study is about the asking the right questions. And if you're inclined to do that, or, or you, you, um, uh, you know, can kind of embody those when you approach the Word, that's when you're going to see the Holy Spirit's going to kick in to give you the insights that He wants to do. We have to ask the right questions. So, today, as, we, uh, as we've been learning even in our groups, and our life groups these past several weeks, several styles of Bible study, if you're, if you're in one of our groups, you know that uh, Rick has been doing some of the teaching, and he introduced a book. In fact, I was, I was familiar with this book 30 years ago, his, his book on Bible study. And he had, I think he introduced 10 or 11 or 12 different styles of Bible study. If you're in a group... The kind of Bible study you're learning there is called the devotional methods. So you've been learning words like probe it, or to picture it, or to pronounce it. These are just different methods you could employ for certain kinds of passages to get it into your heart. And, and, uh, and some of these are brand new territory for you, and I hope that you're practicing because they will make a lot of difference uh, just in your approach to the Word. Well, there's, there's a general scope over any Bible study you're talking about, and there's four words that are going to be at any style that you're talking about. There's four words. I'm going to tell you what they are, and then we're going to go back and revisit them. So for our, um, for our slides, we don't need to go to the individual ones that you're going to be introduced. I just want to generally introduce the, the four of them. Uh, the first word is observation. Is you're basically asking the question, what does it say? What does it say? Um, you know, usually what I do when I approach a scripture that I'm going to be teaching on, I'll read it over several times. And I got to say, you got to have a pen in your hand with a piece of paper to write down the thoughts. That's when it's Bible study. Otherwise, you're just reading. All right? If you're studying, you're going to have a pen in your hand and a piece of paper uh, and, and jotting down the things that God is showing you. The second word is interpretation. And that question is, what does it mean? And this is where it gets interesting and sometimes challenging. You remember the first week we talked about that the Bible is a book that was written by over 40 authors over a span of 1,600 years, three different languages, three different continents. Uh, guys, for anybody like that to have a common thread is, is miraculous. And yet, think about the different cultures represented there. So that when you're trying to dig into the meaning, uh, it's a challenge sometimes to know what did they mean back in that time when they said such, such, such a word. Can I give you a little example? Say I was writing a letter to you, and I used the phrase, you're pulling my leg. You'd know what I was talking about, right? You'd immediately have the, the nuance there that, that uh, you're saying, oh, man, you're just kidding me, right? What if you read that letter a thousand years from now? What would you think that you were meaning? You get a picture of somebody literally taking somebody's leg and starting jerking it, right? You're pull, you, right? That's what I'm talking about. There are metaphors, there are analogies, and there are things like that that are used in the Bible for certain eras, certain times that have a certain meaning. They, you, you wouldn't know this, for example, that um, a lot of the things that are exaggerations in the New Testament, like a camel going through the eye of a needle, that exaggeration, 
in the Jewish time, that was humorous. That was comedy in Jewish. Uh, so they would have probably been laughing out loud. Oh, yeah, right. You know, when we read it, we're thinking, oh, wow, that doesn't make sense. You know, what's that? You know, it's just different. So interpreting uh, is just to find out what is the true meaning there. Okay. The third word is correlation. Is there any other scriptures that are going to help us to understand what that particular passage says? Where can I go to get a little bit of, of uh, insight or uh, a, de- a deeper description? Okay, correlation. And the last one is application. What am I going to do about it? The, uh, the verse that I'm sure you all memorized from last week, James 1.22. Uh, did you do it? All right. Let's say it out loud. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Yes, exactly. All right, James 1.22. Now, I hope you keep memorizing the ones from, from before. Like I said, Jeff set a whole new threshold for us, didn't he? Uh, we can do it. We can do it. And so today, that, uh, that's what we're going to walk through. So I'm going I'm to take you to Philippians chapter 2. And today what we're going to do is use this text as kind of the backdrop to practice what we're talking about here. We are going to, you know, look at uh, each of the cases. I'm going to look at uh, verse 19 and read 19 through 30. Um, in, and, uh, and then we're going to go back over and apply just what we're talking about. So I want to teach you how to do this. Okay? So, little context here. Paul is in Rome. He's in, in we would say jail or prison, but it was actually house arrest. So it wasn't like bars and things like that. He, he had the freedom to receive visitors and, and folks could come in and bring him supplies, things like that, but he was not free to go. He was awaiting trial before Caesar. He did not know what, the, what was going to happen. He didn't know how long his life was going to be. So he started writing letters from this prison, if you will, or, or this arrest, to the, the churches that he had visited and planted. And one of those was a church in Philippi. I don't have a map here to show you, but Philippi is at the north end of the Aegean Sea in Greece. It's actually a Grecian city. It was a Roman city, a very important one. Um, if you know where uh, Istanbul is, you know, the little piece that goes over into Turkey, it's not too far from there over on the Greece side. So this church was planted by Paul, and they loved him dearly uh, to the point where they took up an offering when they heard that he was in this house arrest and, and in jail, that he needed supplies. They take up an offering... And they essentially sent a servant uh, from their church to deliver that. And Paul is writing a thank you letter. That's what the book of Philippians literally is. It's a thank you letter for the offering that has been sent to them. And then he applies a lot of other truths and doctrines and things like that in the meantime. So, that being said, here's what he says in verse 19 of chapter 2. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. 
for he has been longing for you and, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Okay, so when you read, when you hear that, you, if you were just reading that casually or devotionally, you may come to the conclusion, maybe even think thoughts like, wow, that's not very deep. You know, it doesn't have a lot of doctrinal depth and latitudes, platitudes, all this, you know, stuff that the, the familiar passages that we have. He said, this is, just seems like a familiar letter. He's, he's, uh, he's talking about a couple of guys, uh, you know, what, why was this even in the Bible? Why, did, why was it even allowed to be there? You might have that thought when you first see this. And I want to remind you something. Remember the first week we talked about the inspiration of the Bible, that all Scripture is God-breathed. There is not a word in the Scripture that isn't there by intentionality of the Lord. He, he, he has something for us there. Always approach the Word with that attitude. Nothing is useless. It might seem that way on the surface, but watch and see what happens as we dig down deeper and employ those four things. Observation, interpretation, correlation, and application. Okay? So let's walk you through that. Let's talk about what's the first one. Observation. Just imagine yourself, you've got a pen in hand, you've got a piece of pad of paper, and you read that passage over and over and over a few times. What are you observing? Just on the surface, what are you, what are you noticing? Uh, I'll tell you, as I did that or I do that, I'm noticing that he is introducing us to two guys. Timothy and Epaphroditus, all right? Now, I'm gonna say this out front. Guys, I'm not gonna have to repeat it over and over and over again, but know in my heart just, just that, that I mean what I'm saying. This message is largely going to be centered around those two guys, so this is kind of a message for men, if you will. It would seem like that. But as we dig deeper, all the attributes, all the character, all the qualities we're gonna talk about are not specific to to men, this is something all Christians, women included, are going to aspire to, okay? So even though I say men or godly men or whatever, just understand, ladies, that, that this is for all, all of us, okay? And, and much respected, and, and I think we all want to, to work toward these, okay? So I would notice there's two guys. I would, the second thing I would notice is that Paul is um, endorsing these guys, isn't he? He says about Timothy, uh, that he, there's no, nobody like him. I don't have anybody like him that's showing a genuine interest, you know, in, in you, okay? That's noteworthy. Uh, he, he, he says a few other things about Timothy, who he knew pretty well. Epaphrodites, he talks about him as a, a fellow worker, as a soldier, kind of coming alongside of him. And then he talks about Epaphrodites and the sacrifice that he's paid just to do what he's doing, serving the kingdom, he said, to serve Christ, the guy almost dies. And so that's what I'm noticing. Now, when I see that he's endorsing them, I'm asking myself the question, what made these guys so special? What made them uh, trust, uh, trustworthy? What made them honorable? Because I, when I read this, he said, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. 
If you're a man here today, and I would say, what would make you worthy of honor? What is the qualities, spiritual qualities that would be manifest, that would make you honorable? Maybe there's some clues here. And some of those I just mentioned, you know? Um, he talks about Timothy. He talks about Epaphrodites, and some of these qualities are going to begin to emerge. So now, what I'm going to do in my observation, I'm going to begin to start looking for those qualities and writing those, those down. And, and now, this is a preacher thing, all right? I, I, if I was going to pass that message on to you, I might call this message the five godly traits of, or the five traits of a godly man or five characteristics of a godly man. That's, that's how it would come about. You begin to see this now? There you go. So now the next step would be interpretation. Now we're going to start digging into what, what's going on here. What is the meaning behind what he is saying? And now this takes a little bit more effort. There are some tools that are available to you for these kinds of purposes. And I don't expect all of you be like, you know, you have a mechanic for that reason. He's a pro, he's, he's skilled in that, and not all of us are going to do that. Some of us might, may aspire. But there are certain things I think that every believer should just kind of appreciate and understand. Uh, one of the factors is, for example, that the Bible is written in three different languages. Your New Testament, like what we're reading here, is Greek. And the words that you would find in the Greek, there are many more words in the Greek that are, are used here than, than in English. For example, I think there's 11,000 words in the Greek in all your New Testament. There's only 8,000 English words to somehow interpret those words. Some of you know like the word love. There's three Greek words, eros, which is more like a sexual love and uh, you know, in that context, that's where we get the word erotic from. There's philos, which is brotherly love, where you get like Philadelphia, that's all Greek. And then agape, uh, which is unconditional love. But we only have one word. So you see some of the challenges that are there when you're trying to dig into the true meaning behind that. So let's walk through that, okay? What, what does he mean? I, I pointed out, you know, five characteristics. And if, uh, if you walk through these with me, Here's how I would approach those. I would look at the first uh, couple of verses, 20, 21, and Paul is saying, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not, not those of Jesus Christ. So as I'm digging into that, uh, I'm thinking, okay, he's talking about a guy here who is not like everybody. He's unique. There's no one else like him, he says, because he has a genuine concern for you. If I was going to pick a word for that, it would be the word, he's, he's a caring kind of guy. He's caring. And, and that would say, you know, one of the godly traits that I should aspire for is to be a caring individual, be concerned for others. And, and I might think of other words that would uh, wrap around that. Now, he's contrasting that to those who are self-interested. And so instead of being selfish, Timothy is unselfish. He's compassionate. He is, uh, uh, he is, he's concerned, as I mentioned. Now we're starting to get somewhere. And friends, now you're beginning to see with me, this is a message that we need to hear today. Would you not agree? And I'm not just picking on the men, but, you know, to find a, an unselfish, caring, concerned-type man you know, we're saying, man, that's, that's pretty rare air these days, right? 
ladies are saying, amen, you know. <laughs> you're wise not to say it out loud, I think, especially if you're with, with somebody, but, but you start thinking, it, it truly, that's the truth. We're just living in a society, friend, that it's all about me. And, and it's just, just immaturity, and it's just selfishness, it's childishness. And I don't care how old you are. Some of us never grow out of that because we've never had anything other than that modeled. And it's the Spirit of God, when he comes in, he starts transforming that into the caring, selfless type of individual that Paul is, is lifting up here in, in Timothy. You know, I don't do it often, but I, I do have to, to say that uh, I know that we've got a, a, just a wide variance of folks and life stages represented here at North Shore, not only culturally and, and background and economically, uh, uh, age-wise, ge uh, generational-wise. I mean, we're all across the board, but I know that we have got a, a significant number of gals here that are, that are single, and if you are of, among those that have your sight someday, hopefully to, to meet somebody that you uh, can marry and spend the rest of your life with. I would say this is a quality. This is probably at the top of the list that you're going to look for. If they're a guy that all he wants to do is talk about himself, I would say beware. <laughs> is he the kind of guy that will go out of his way to make you feel safe? Is he the type of person that literally would ask you your opinion about something, you know? And uh, those are just a few little heads-ups. And, and these are qualities that men, if you're, if you're a, a brother here, and when I, I say that, that's who we are here. The young men are brothers. The old men are, are fathers, you know, type, type of relationship. We're family. And, and I'm just going to challenge you, you know, regardless of the background and the modeling that you may have had or may not have had, aspire for this kind of a godly character. That's just one of them, okay? How important is that? And so here it is right there, and he's, he's elevating this. Here's the next one, uh, verse 22. He goes on and he says the same thing about Timothy. You know Timothy's proven worth, proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. Okay, what's he saying? What does that mean? I would just start right now. He's, he's the kind of guy that would keep his word. He keeps his promise. He does what he says he's going to do. He's proven, he's tested, he's reliable. Maybe the common word that we'd find scripturally is the word faithful. He, he's a faithful man. And, and that is something too to aspire for. In one of his other letters to Timothy, Paul said in 2 Timothy 2, Timothy, he says, here's what you need to do, brother. You're, I know you're a pastor. He says one of your highest charges is go out and look for faithful men. Faithful men who will be able to take these words and pass them on to others who in turn will be able to teach others. Friends, that's a discipleship charge right there if there ever was one. Take the message and multiply it. But it takes faithfulness. And the opposite of that is, is wishy-washy. Quite honest. You can't depend on them. They never follow through. They never, um, they never do what they, they say. And so he's, he's elevating this. I think this is the kind of person that has values and sticks to those values. Amen. Sometimes we use the word integrity yeah. of being the same on the outside as you are on the inside. Yeah. Okay? And, and, uh, and Paul is just kind of elevating this. He's saying that's the kind of young man he was and is. And so he's a man of conviction. He's going he's gonna to stand. And I remember this quote, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. Right? 
And so he, he would take a stand and he'd be convicted about that. These are all, I, you know, and you say, where do you see it all? That? Well, you know, just spend some time there. And when he's saying, he's a guy that's proven. He's, you know, I, I know he's, he's tried and tested. I remember talking to a young man one time, broke my heart. He said, you know, as I grew up as a kid, I'd, when my dad would come home, I didn't know if he was going to hug me or slug me. And I just thought, you know, what kind, of, what kind of model have you had that has been reproduced into your own life? And, and is it possible that the Spirit of God could do some things to transform and change that into a different person? That's what God has the power to do if we let him. So we aspire for that. And, um, and then you see the next thing as it unfolds, he, he shifts over to this uh, Epaphroditus, and he is the servant sent from Philippi to deliver this offering, okay? And, and apparently had some rough uh, time along the way, but he starts off by describing Epaphroditus. He says, uh, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. He uses three terms there, if you, if you call them uh, metaphors. And I, 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 so what I'm looking for, and what I'm studying this, this passage, I'm looking for a common thread between those things, a brother, a fellow worker, and a soldier. And a brother speaks for itself. You're talking in the context of a family. And I don't know if you knew this or not, we use this term a lot around here, we're a family. Even we're a big family, but, um, but some of you probably came from churches where they would literally call each other brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. I don't know if we do that as much around here. I, re- I go back to the years ago, uh, the gospel uh, songwriter, Bill Gaither, uh, kind of the father of contemporary Christian music. And that rebellious you know, song of his, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. <laughs> It kind of broke the ice of singing choruses in church as opposed to the hymns. And some of you don't remember those days, but I mean, that was frontline stuff. And, and the, the, the line from the, the song says, you may notice we call each other brother and sister around here. It's because we're a family and each one is so dear. And, uh, and in contents I grew up, they'd, they'd use that a lot. So he was a brother and the values of a family. He calls him a fellow worker. So they shared the common uh, goal as a worker of the Great Commission to make disciples. And that's what it's like here at North Shore. We're about making disciples who in turn can reproduce that into more disciples. And we just keep after that, keep going there. And we're fellow workers here, like Epaphroditus. Uh, and then a soldier. We have a common enemy. Who's our enemy, by the way? Satan. We're, we're in a spiritual warfare, spiritual battle in this kingdom. And he said, man, he's, a, he's like a soldier that's, that's there. And so the word that kind of the common word between all those is the word cooperation. All of these descriptions mean that you're in connection or relationship. A fellow worker, a brother, a soldier, you know, in arms, a soldier. You don't do it alone. None of these things do you do alone, right? Guys, I'm going to challenge you. Because I've met some guys and I've talked to them and they think that they can do this solo. They think they can do this without being part of a fellowship or a group or uh, any kind of accountability. Oh, I can just do that. I'm just telling you, you're wrong. You're wrong. You can't do this and succeed if you try to do it alone. 
And for whatever reasons, for whatever excuses we've come up with with not connecting into those kinds of relationships, maybe you're private, maybe, maybe you've got stuff that you just don't want your stuff known or whatever. I don't care what it is. You step in there and the love of Christ is gonna kind of shroud over that. And I'm telling you, that's when you're gonna start growing. Until you do that, until you take that step, you will be stuck at a certain level and likely not grow much beyond that place, okay? And so he's elevating, he's saying, you wanna be a godly man? Then get in, get in a relationship, cooperation with others around you. Be in that relationship so that the growth can truly happen, okay? And then, then he moves on and Kind of interesting. This is, this is one that could easily just slip right by. Verse 26. He says, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Let that just soak in a minute. Epaphroditus is the kind of guy, he's upset because he heard that you're upset over his illness. What does that tell you about him? You do the work right now. You've got the pen and hand. What is that telling you about this guy? It's telling you that there's something about this character that he is aware of the impact that he has on others. It's just not, again, like the earlier one, it's not just all about him. It's not all about just taking it in and receiving it for him. But he is perceptive and aware of the impact that he's having on others. And the word that comes to my mind is, he's considerate. He considers what's going on with somebody else. He's considerate about their feelings. Man, he had every right in the world to just be all about, about himself, right? I mean, he's the one that was sick. He's the one that almost died. He's the one that was a, you know, the sacrifice. And yet, he's, he's thinking about them. And guys, I, I tell you, I cannot help but go down this track because most of, most of us who have been married or are married, we know that God uses the context of marriage often to put into practice these very traits, right? I was in one of those times last night. Again, it's, uh, it's just the reality. It's a pastor thing, I guess. But I, I, I just knew the last couple of weeks, I've had five, six, seven added things to my typical uh, rhythm and routine. And I've been, I've been particularly uh, tired and fatigued. And I came in yesterday uh, kind of that way. And I got home after our breakfast, men's breakfast yesterday, and I was I'd conscious, I was saying, I'm, I'm just gonna check out. Well, I've been away for two days, and Annette was in a mode where she wanted to talk. She wanted to share. She wanted to relate. And I, uh, I wasn't real sensitive. We'll just put it that way. And, and she could tell. She said, You're, you didn't hear a thing I just said, did you? And I said, I said dear, I, I just came in, and I, I, I just need to check out for a bit. That wasn't the right thing to say. And, and so she checked out. And here's the hard part. Uh, I had my notes of this message right in front of me. 
And I'm looking down here, and a godly man is considerate. And all of a sudden, the scripture just jumps off at me, 1 Peter 3.17. Husbands, be considerate of your wives as you live with them. And I, I thought, man, what do I do with this? And I'm, this is what I do with it. I can't preach that. I can't just kind of scoot by that and tell you what you're going to do if I'm not in the place where I'm hearing what the word is saying to me. And I told the Saturday night group, I said, would you pray for me? I've got some work to do when I get home tonight. <laughs> now, Annette was sitting here at the nine o'clock service. Now what do I do? And, and I gently and, and just kind of transparently shared with you because I think, guys, listen, if I'm not willing to put this into practice myself, how can I ever expect any of us to do what we're not willing to do? And so I, I was under conviction about that, and I went home and, and just uh, laid it out there. And there's just moments where I have to step outside of myself. I don't care what the excuses are, what I'm going through, how I'm feeling, you know, how hard it's been at work or whatever, you know, for you guys. Um, there's just, there's not, it's a command. Be considerate. Be considerate of your wives just as, as Christ has shown us that kind of love and self-sacrifice. So, um, you know, I just, I find it very interesting how God has wired us up differently. And I think God must have a smile on his face when he sees just how differently men and women really are and how, how much fun it is to find out those differences and discover those differences because um, uh, they're, they're pretty distinct sometimes. But that's our life. And regardless of where it's at, and if you're not married and you're not in that setting, maybe you are in relationship with uh, fellow workers or coworkers, it's gonna be in those kind of places that these characteristics are forged, that they're, they're kind of uh, developed and, and formed in us, okay? So here, here's Epaphroditus. He's a considerate kind of guy, and I learned from that. The last one that I noticed was, was his courage. He had courage. And again, just, if you just read this casually, you'd never stop and pause and think about this. But if you're studying this, all of a sudden you're gonna realize, not only does Paul tell him in verse 27, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but me also, lest I would have had sorrow upon sorrow, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Think about this, guys. Can you imagine? Let's just take a few weeks ago. If I stood in front of you and we knew that down south of here, about 800 miles in California, maybe a church was in the fire and, and say it burnt down. And they were, they were a partner of ours or friends of ours. We said, we're going to take up an offering uh, for that church. And, and then I ask you, which one of you would volunteer to deliver that offering to, to them, 800 miles away? Only problem is there's no jets, there's no cars, there's no train. You're gonna walk 800 miles to deliver that offering. How many volunteers would we get? This is Epaphroditus. That's the kind of man that he was. He literally walked, and that's why he fell ill. It was a dangerous trip, to, to, no doubt, but also his health took a, a huge toll and he almost died out of his service. So when we're talking about courage, we're not talking about just jumping off a cliff. There's a lot of guys that have courage and, you know, for an adrenaline rush and it's all about them. We're talking about courage for somebody else, to do something for somebody else that's sacrificial and that might, might cost you something. 
And that's the kind of guy he was. Now, would you say that there, there's something worthwhile when we dug down into that passage of Scripture? We've just mentioned five traits of a godly man, that he's caring, that he's consistent, that he's in relationship, he's in cooperation with others, that he's considerate. It's not selfish, but thinking of others, and that he's courageous. And, and then the, the last thing that we would have to deal with is, how are we going to put this into practice? What are we going to do with this? And that's the application. What are you going to do with this? Well, you know, I think I've already told you what God told me to do. <laughs> and I can say that I, I went home and did that. I didn't let the sun go down on that. And I did that. And uh, she's talking to me again. <laughs> yeah? Thank, thank the Lord. <laughs> um, what is he saying to you? Uh, remember I told you this is all about asking the right questions? If you're in one of your life groups, uh, you were introduced to a little acronym, Space Pets. Does that sound familiar? Okay, you've seen that in your workbook? I'm just going to go through the first part, the space. All right, that is good, but I'm just going to give you a taste if you haven't been aware of this. The, the thing with an acronym, it just helps you to put a, a hanger on something. It just helps you to remember it's like when we come together for our prayer gathering. I usually walk you through the ACTS uh, sequence. A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. It's just a little pattern. And, and believe it, it, Jesus did this, didn't he? In that the Lord's Prayer, he said, here's the pattern prayer. You don't just pray it and, by rote and just say it out loud like I did when I, in the Methodist church I grew up, you just said it and nobody even thought about what they were saying. He's saying, this is just a sequence that I want you to focus on. Okay? Space. What, what might be the little reminder if you could tuck this away? The S stands for what sin might there be that I need to confess? Is there a sin I need to confess? Now, what do you want to call it, sin or not? I, when I read through this and God was speaking to me there, one thing rose up right to the top because that's what I was going through. And I talked to the Lord about it. The A is an attitude, or no, the P is a promise that I need to claim. Is there a promise I need to claim? There's 7,000 of them in the scripture. And a lot of times God will say, this is what I'll do. If you do this, I will do this for you. And do I need to claim that? An attitude is the A, that I need to change. That would apply kind of to my situation. I needed to change some things. And then a command. Is there a command that I need to obey? Now you might not, it might not sound like a command to you, but I know yesterday when I was walking through this and in that Peter 3.17 passage, husbands, be considerate of your wives as you live with them. That's a command. You notice there's no wiggle room there, right? There's, it's not a suggestion. It's not just something to aspire. It's saying that's how you're to live. That's a command. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So you can't say you love the Lord, have a command over here that you're unwilling you know, to, to adopt or to obey, okay? And so, and the last one is, is there an example that I need to follow? Today we've been introduced to a couple of guys. They've shown us some characteristics that are godly characteristics. Is there anything among these guys that today God is speaking to you about? Is there something here that you need to hear? 
and now you need to act upon it. Maybe you need to bring it. Maybe, th maybe this is going to prompt a discussion. In fact, I heard after the first service, I, I'm not looking forward to the ride home <laughs> because there's some things that, that have come to the surface that, that we, we just need to deal with. And thank the Lord. Aren't you thankful he doesn't leave us the same way that we, we, uh, we, we're inclined to be? So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. Um, in fact, after our prayer, we're going to dismiss you today, okay? No, no closing song. We're just going to reflect, allow this to soak in, and listen to what God has for us. And if there's something we need to respond to, let's do that. Let's stand together, and we will do just that, okay? Lord, today, is, as we bow before you humbly in your presence, we're grateful for your word. It's powerful. It's living. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It comes to us in areas that nothing else can. And uh, we welcome that. We thank you, Lord, today that uh, you love us so much that you continually are working to perfection We'll never arrive there completely, Lord, until we're glorified on the other side. But in this journey, I'm grateful that we can see uh, more clearly than we did a year ago or five years ago or longer. God, there's some people in the room right now that are just starting to take the initial steps of this new life in Christ. Maybe there's even some in the room that, that hasn't consciously or tangibly uh, given their heart or their life to you. And, and not quite sure what that looks like or if they're ready for that. But Lord, I'm excited that you've brought them here, that they're hearing these words, and that there's something powerful about those words speaking to their heart, and they're saying, that's what I want. There's something yearning. Uh, that's what I want to be like. And to know how to do that, the first step is to invite the Spirit of God into your life you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. And Lord, we certainly know that. So I pray that you'll just inspire them to take that faith step of trusting you, Jesus, for your salvation, for the power of the Spirit to begin to transform their life. And if they could just, just tangibly ask you, Lord, come into my heart. Come into my heart and live there for the rest of my life. And bring me the forgiveness of sin that you've promised. I'm claiming that today. And Father, for the rest of us, as we just kind of heart review, go through these characteristics, is there an area where we need to be more caring, concerned for other, and not just my own interest? Lord, am I consistent? Am I doing what I say that I'll do? Do I have that kind of reputation? And am I willing for you to change me if necessary? Lord, am I in relationship with others where there's a humility, there's a, there's a, a, a deference to others' thoughts and wisdom and opinion sometimes just out of accountability? Or have I kind of kept isolated out of fear, out of guilt? God, do I need to change that? God, I know that you've been speaking to me about considerate. And I just need to be mindful. Help me through the Spirit. Prompt me in those moments when my flesh says, I, I, I just want to do what I want to do. Help me to step out of the flesh and into the Spirit and to be more considerate, especially in, in my relationship with my wife and with others. And Lord, maybe there's a faith step that's going to require some courage.
And today, that's what we need. Whatever it is, Lord, we want to put into practice what you've told us and go from here with a, with a resolve that we're not going to stay the same. We're not going to just dig our heels in, but we're going to relent and, and yield and surrender uh, to you this area that you're speaking to us about. So thank you, Lord, again for your word. Just pray that you'll continue these next few weeks as we, we keep digging deeper. Uh, teach us things. Help us to, to, uh, to just absorb them and to change things that need to. Until we come back again, may your blessing be with each one, and may they, they see you at work in their life in some powerful, powerful ways. We love you. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, blessings to you. I hope you have a great day. See you back next week. If you're here for our, uh, our Israel meeting, we're going to be meeting at uh, 1230 in the Cascade Room, which is behind this building, all right? 1230.